Take your Bibles, turn with me please to Acts chapter 4 this morning as we continue our series in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, a Christian response to trials. A Christian response to trials. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23 and reading down through verse 31. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word please? Uh, Luke writes, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God. With boldness. Father, we're so grateful this morning for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Because God, we're we're sinners. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in that condition, we were separated from you. We were alienated from you. And we were without hope and without peace. But Lord, because of your great mercy and and grace and love, certainly not because we deserved it and not because we had earned it, but only because of your great love, you've redeemed us. You've called us by name and placed us in your family as your adopted children by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. Lord, we know that there are many in the world today, many around us right here in this city even, who do not understand that good news. They have no idea about the good news of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that we would be men and women of prayer, praying for them, and men and women who speak the word of God with boldness. Lord, I thank you for the example of the early apostles. What we learn from them, despite opposition and even persecution, they pressed on and they trusted you. God, may we do the same. Lord, may you strengthen our influence. May you strengthen our impact as we set forth to make you known. Lord, I pray that we would be about your agenda, your purposes, your business. 
And as we do, that we would just simply trust that you will provide whatever it is that we need. May we be encouraged by that. Lord, I pray for those this morning who have very real needs in their lives. Some are hurting. Some have experienced loss. Lord, people need your comfort. They need your strength. They need your peace. They need your all-wise counsel. We pray that you would supply that according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. William Carey has often been called the father of the modern missions movement. Things didn't always go so well for William Carey. On one occasion he faced a ministry disappointment of monumental and overwhelming proportions. You see, Carey began his missionary career to India in 1793. He labored in that country for 40 continuous years, never once returning to his native England. Carey was a prodigious translator, translating portions of scripture into over a dozen of the Indian languages. But one afternoon, after 20 years of plotting labor in that country, a fire raged through his printing plant and his warehouse. All of his printing equipment was destroyed, but most tragically, many of his precious manuscripts were were completely destroyed and consumed by the fire. And of course, Carey had no uh, computer backup files like we would have today. He had no flash drives or no CDs that, that had all this material stored on it. And so everything that he had worked for was gone. 20 years of translation labor was gone, burned up in flames. How would Carey respond to, to such a crushing defeat? Well, we don't have to wonder because Carey wrote to his pastor friend, Andrew Murray, back in England. And he said, and I quote, the ground must be labored all over again. But we're not discouraged. We've all been supported under the affliction and preserved from discouragement. To me, the consideration of the divine sovereignty and wisdom has been very supporting. I endeavored to improve this, our affliction, last Lord's Day from Psalm 46.10 that reads, Be still and know that I am God. In that text, I primarily dwelt upon two chief ideas. Number one, God has a sovereign right to dispose of us as He pleases. And number two, we ought to acquiesce in all that God does with us and to us. What a great response. I want to ask you this morning, how easily do you grow up, uh, give up? 
How easily do you give up? How easily do you grow discouraged? How easy do you become distressed? And sometimes perhaps even feel like quitting. How do you and I handle the difficulties in life? Well, as we come to Acts chapter uh, 4 today, we see how the early church handled a very deep crisis in their lives. Now, you'll remember the context from last week. The context is that James and uh, that, that Peter and John had gone up to the temple at the hour of prayer, and they were going there to, to commune with God, to worship, to praise Him, to pray. The early Christians were still going to the temple at, at that time. That quickly began to change. But nonetheless, at this point in time, they were still going to the temple to worship and pray. And as they're going to the temple on this particular day, they see that a beggar has been placed by one of the gates there. And he's begging for alms. And he, and he fastens his eyes upon Peter and John. And Peter and John say, silver and gold have we none, but what we have we give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And the Bible tells us that God healed the man. Strength entered into his legs and into his body. And he was able to get up and walk and run into the temple, jumping and leaping and praising God. Well, that caused no small stir. Because everybody knew this man had been lame from his birth. The authorities showed up on the scene. They lock uh, Peter and John up until they can hear more from them the next day. But the authorities know they can't do anything because they're afraid of all the multitudes. And so they simply charge Peter and John to quit preaching in the name of Jesus. And of course Peter and John refused to do that. But notice what they do. They went back to the church and they reported everything to the church. What was the response of the church? Did the church give up? Did the church grow discouraged? Did, did the church despair? No. We see what the church did. They went before the Lord in a time of prayer. They prayed. Our response to trials in life should be to pray and not despair. I think of that parable that Jesus told in Luke 18 to illustrate that men ought always to pray and not to faint or to give up. And the early church displayed that kind of faith. Now let's see today how they faced life and how they faced the trials of life. They handled life not with care but with prayer. And we learn that as God's people we need to face the pressures from the world by trusting God regardless of the outcome. They saw the power of God unleashed as they prayed and that's a lesson to us as well. We'll see the power of God unleashed as we pray. 
First thing I want you to notice with me this morning is the prayer. Beginning there in verse 23 it says, When they were released they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priest and the elders uh, had said to them. And look at verse 24 it says, And when they heard it they lifted their voices together to God. They prayed. They were facing the unbelief of their society. Not only did they have the challenges, the everyday challenges of getting the name of of Jesus Christ out there and of preaching the gospel to men as Christ had commanded them to do in the Great Commission. But in, in addition to all of that, they faced the daily hostilities of the authorities. And folks, I want you to remember at this point in time, the early church had none of the freedoms that you and I today enjoy in this country. But you know, one has to wonder how long are we going to continue to have our freedoms? How long before the authorities might come in and try to silence us? You kind of wonder when you see what's happening uh, across the landscape of the world today. You may have heard something that happened this week, or I I read about it this week, it happened earlier, but, but it seems like some of the opposition against the church may be starting. We may be seeing little hints of it even today. It was reported that recently the IRS has reached some type of agreement with the Freedom From Religion organization. It's an atheistic organization. Now the IRS, people have asked, people have tried to find out what's in the agreement that they signed with this group and they won't tell. And so right now some are suing under the Freedom of Information Act to try to get a copy of this agreement. But what it does seem to to show or what seems to be known in little snippets about it already is that the IRS is promising the freedom from religion group that they are going to begin more aggressively targeting churches. Any church involved in any kind of political activity will lose its tax-exempt status. But listen to how it's believed that they're now defining political activity. Any church that preaches or teaches against things like abortion or same-sex marriage, even if the pastor is only preaching the biblical text, Even if he's staying away from party politics, he's just preaching the text, it's still going to be defined as political activity. Now I find it difficult, at least for now, to imagine that they'll succeed. I think they might one day, but hopefully not for the moment. But if they do succeed, then you've got a choice. You see, if you want to protect your tax-exempt status, then you'd better find another preacher because I can tell you, by the grace of God, I am going to preach what the Bible teaches. So we may be a little closer to understanding the culture of the early church even than what we realize. One of the basic tenets of society today is secular humanism. 
an atheistic secular humanism that either says there is no God or if there is, we don't need him anymore. Man is getting smarter and stronger and better and he's able to solve more and more of his challenges and problems by his own intellect, by his own ingenuity and his own technology and we don't need God anymore. It's the fruit of some of those God is dead philosophies of past decades. They weren't really saying that God is dead, but our need of God is dead. We've grown up. They would say, we've grown up and we just don't need him anymore. That's what some are saying. They're even going so far today as to say that that religion might even be bad for society. Now, folks, we may, we may have advanced as far as technology is concerned, but man's heart is emptier and more wicked than it's ever been before. In response to an unbelieving world, we see how effective the early church was. The early church, think about it, they had none of the conveniences. They had none of the power, none of the position, none of the wealth, none uh, of the technology that we have today. And yet they had power. God poured out his power on them because they were a praying church. They waited on God. It's been said before you talk to men about God, you need to talk to God about men. And that's what they did. They were a praying church. In chapter 1, verse 12, you'll recall when, when, when they were uh, in the upper room waiting for the promise from the Father that Jesus told them about that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on them on the day of Pentecost. They were in the upper room. They weren't wasting time. They weren't treading water. They were praying. And when they determined that they needed to replace Judas with another leader, another apostle, they prayed about that. You get into chapter 2 and you see just as a normal course of their daily worship, they were a praying church in chapter 3. They were going up to the, to the temple to pray in chapter 4. They come and give this report and, and they pray again all throughout the book of Acts. We see that the church was a praying church. And you look at their prayers. You see that their prayer was united. In verse 24 it says it was with one accord or together. It was fervent. Again in verse 24 it says they raised or they lifted up their voices. It was believing. They called on God in verse 24 as sovereign Lord. Now look at the affirmations that they were making here uh, in, in their prayer. They said, Sovereign Lord, they, they, they recognized that God is the one who created and made everything. In fact, it's a very unusual word here in the Greek text that is used. It's despota or despot. It, it, it means an absolute king, a ruler, a master, a sovereign They're recognizing that this is what God is. I think one of the greatest passages in all the word of God on the sovereignty of God would have to be that that's found back in Isaiah chapter 40. Listen to what Isaiah 40 says about the sovereignty of God. Isaiah begins there by by talking about God uh, tending his flock like a shepherd. And he'll gather his lambs in his arms. A very tender and affectionate picture of God. 
that he will gently lead his young. But then Isaiah goes on to point out that we shouldn't think, as C.S. Lewis said, that this is a tame God. Because he's the one who has measured out the waters in the hollow of his hand. Think about that. All of the oceans of the world just in the hollow of his hand. And he's marked off the heavens. All of the universe with the span of his hand. From the, from the tip of his thumb to the, to the tip of his finger. He's, just, he's marked off the heavens. And all the dust of the earth he puts in a measure and weighs it on the scales. Isaiah goes on to say, all of the nations are like just a drop in the bucket. That's all. All the nations are nothing before him. It's he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. In verse 26, Isaiah says, lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Talking about the heavenly host. Who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one of them is missing. What a great God we serve. And and we look at their prayer here in Acts chapter 4 and their prayer was a confession that God has displayed his sovereignty over all of creation. They point out here God's even displayed his his sovereignty at, at Calvary, at the cross. You see the rulers and the leaders thought that they were the ones in charge of killing Jesus. But actually Jesus was laying down his life to be our sin sacrifice. And the Bible says it was God's plan from the foundation of the world even that it should be that way. Now if God is sovereign over all those events, then they're acknowledging that he's sovereign over their situation as well. Their situation is not hidden from his eyes. He sees. He's not too weak to do anything about it. And so they're expressing faith here that God sees and because he sees, he will act. He will intervene. Now folks, that's a lesson for you and me in our praying. We need to believe God's word which tells us that he hears our prayers and we need to know that God will answer. We can trust God when we pray when, he, when, when we pray that he knows us, he knows our situation, uh, we, we can trust that he's going to intervene. When we pray, God will not fail to, to answer. Now, sometimes his answer is no, but that's still an answer. Sometimes his answer is yes, but not yet, and we just need to be patient. Sometimes God answers yes and gives us exactly what we asked for. Or sometimes he might say yes, but he does it in a different way. But one thing of which we can be sure is that God hears and answers our prayers and he displays his sovereignty and his power in how he chooses to do that. He's the all-wise God. What we need to do is stand back and wait after we pray. And sometimes we just, we, we get up off our knees praying and we're, and we're blinded to what happens next. We need to start paying attention to what's happening around us after we've prayed about something. 
They also acknowledge that God speaks. He's not silent. He's able also to work miracles and he's able to give boldness. He gave them boldness. He's able to give us boldness. Now folks, I want you to notice what they were doing here. It is a great example of how Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Remember what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer? Jesus said, pray then this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And that's exactly what they're doing here. They're praying for God's agenda to be advanced. They're praying for God's priorities, God's purposes to be done. And that they would simply be instruments in God's hands as God accomplishes his plan. You know where we so often mess up? You think about the book of James, what James says in James chapter 4. James says actually two problems there. Number one, we don't have because we don't ask. Number two, when we do ask, we tend to ask amiss. We ask with wrong motives that we might consume things upon our lust. We pray for what we want instead of what God wants. No wonder we don't see prayer answered more than we do. Folks, prayer ought to be an attempt not simply to change the mind of God, but to discover the mind of God. When we go before God in prayer, we need to know His heart and His mind. We need to discover His mind. And all it seems like so many times we're just going before God and we're trying to change God that He'll see things my way. We need to see things His way. We're upside down in so much of our praying. They prayed that God in His sovereign power would act and intervene. That God's agenda and God's purposes would march forward. That was their prayer. Now the second thing I want you to see this morning is the power. Look at verse 21, uh, 31. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Now, I want to ask you a question. When was the power of God displayed? Was it displayed before they prayed? No, after they prayed. And as a matter of fact, the Greek text points out that even as they were praying, God was moving, God was working. Folks, I want you to think about that. Even as you and I are taking some of our burdens and trials to God, even as we are praying, unknown to us at the time perhaps, God is already moving and working. Folks, if you never sense the power of God or or perhaps you feel stagnant or anemic in your your walk with God and, and you might feel like God's not using you more to make a difference, check out your prayer life because when God's people pray God's way, awesome things happen. I think of Elijah there in the book of 1 Kings. Remember Elijah? 1 Kings 18. Ahab and Jezebel have brought paganism into the land. They've brought Baal worship, Canaanite paganism into the land. And God said through Elijah that 
Elijah, through your prayers, I'm, I'm, I want you to announce to Ahab that the land is not going to have rain or even dew for the, for the span of three years. God was going to cause a drought and then a famine because of the drought on the land. It was going to be the judgment of God because they had gone the direction of Baalism. Well, Elijah prayed and that's exactly what happened. God shut the heavens up. And then after three years, God said to Elijah, Elijah, go and show yourself to Ahab. And he did. And there was that showdown on Mount Carmel with the prophets of, of Baal. And the people finally said, because of God's intervention, the people finally said, Jehovah God will be our God. We're, we're coming back to God. And all the prophets of Baal were, were killed and and. and Elijah said to Ahab, God's going to send the rain now. God told him to pray for rain. And you'll remember what Elijah told his servant. Go, and, uh, go down toward, look toward the Mediterranean, the, the great sea, and, and come back and report what you see. And do that seven times. And finally the seventh time, um, Elijah was told by the servant, there's a cloud about the size of a man's fist coming up over the waters. And Elijah kept praying. And the Bible says that the skies grew dark and the clouds were massive, and there was a great rain. The power of God. When Elijah prayed God's way, he didn't pray his agenda. He prayed God's agenda. He, he prayed what God had commanded him to pray, and God used those prayers in a mighty way. And I think of his successor, Elisha, how God did the same thing in 2 Kings chapter 6. Remember Syria, the troops of Syria were coming against uh, Israel, and, and Israel always knew what was happening. And, and Benadad said, who is telling Israel where we're going to be next? And they said, King, there's a prophet in Israel. And what you whisper in your bedroom, he tells the king of Israel. And Benadad says, we're going to go get that prophet. And they surround his, his city and his house. They get up the next morning. The servant goes out and, and looks and he comes back in. He's scared to death. He says, Master, we're surrounded. And Elisha says, son, don't worry. There's more with us than with them. And the servant's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see anybody. And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And God opened his eyes and he went back outside. And he looked and there was all the host of heaven. The, 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 the armies of heaven that God was surrounding the troops of Benadad with. And God gave the victory. The power of God that comes as we pray. And as we pray God's way. And folks, oftentimes it's in those situations where we're powerless to do anything uh, about it. It's those situations where we might end up seeing God move in the greatest ways possible. I read just this week the story of John Rushiana, the, the Anglican bishop of Shaira, Rwanda, some years ago. He also served as a pastor in Uganda during the brutal reign of dictator Idi Amin. Amin targeted 200,000 political opponents, Christian leaders, and members of, of certain ethnic groups for extermination. 
One day the government soldiers came for John. John had been preaching boldly about Jesus. And they came for John. John remembers, one put the cold barrel of a gun against my ear and held his finger on the trigger. They put me in a vehicle and made me sit on a sack of explosives. As we began moving, I thought, even the slightest jolt and I'm dead. Well, the soldiers finally released John, figuring they'd successfully intimidated him enough that he'd no longer speak out for Christ. Now, with Christian leaders being targeted this way, people were thinking, would John's ministry be over? This was a situation bigger than him. He was powerless against the dictator's efforts at the intimidation of people. But what the oppressors meant for evil, God used for good. Because two days after John's brush with death, it was Sunday. And that Sunday when John walked into the cathedral where he preached, not only was the place full, but it was running over. There was standing room only and people were even packed in the aisles because they wanted to see if their beloved bishop would still preach boldly in the name of Christ and he did the power of God that happens when we stand on his word and we magnify the name of the Lord Jesus and we pray God's way they prayed and then the place was shaken Third thing I want you to see with me this morning is the presence. The presence, it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. God's presence became evident among them when they prayed. Now, folks, in the early church, the presence of the Lord was heavy on them. Again, all through the book of Acts, you see this. But you know what their secret was? The presence of God was with them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit because they were a praying people. And all through the book of Acts, none of that changes. They remain a church waiting upon God. And because of that, God is right there in their midst. I tell you what, not every church, not every church can have the missions and ministries that other churches have. Not every church can maybe have some of the opportunities or maybe the strategic locations some churches have. But I tell you what, folks, there is one church, there's one thing all churches can be. All churches can be a praying church. And when we are a praying people, we sense the presence of God like at no other time. It's simply a matter of believing God enough to pray. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Prayer is the way to develop intimacy with God and feel His marvelous presence in your life. I'm going to ask you to do something today. We'll formalize it more later on. There'll be time for that, but I'm just asking you to, uh, to do it now, not wait until it's formalized. 
I'm wanting to do a watchman on the wall prayer ministry. It is a prayer ministry based on Isaiah 62. Where God said to Isaiah, or said through Isaiah to the people of Israel, I want you to put watchmen on the wall around the city of Jerusalem who will, different ones, who will always be on that wall day and night. And day and night they will cry out to me. They will both intercede on behalf of the city. And they will call out my promises to me. They will remind me of my promises to my people. And so every day, every hour of every day, there are to be watchmen on the wall crying out for the city. I want to ask you to pick one hour in the week. One hour. It's easy enough, isn't it? What time? Anytime you choose. It can be morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night. It doesn't matter. Pick one hour in which you're going to be a prayer warrior for this ministry and you're going to intercede for your brothers and sisters in Christ here. And you're going to pray for needs in this body. And you're going to be praying for what God is doing or, or, or wants to do uh, around us. One hour a week. That's all I'm asking you to do. Now later on, we'll, we'll get a chart and jot down where some of these hours are so we can find out where the gaps are and try to get people to fill that gap. But don't wait until I formalize it. Just do it. Pick an hour and do it. Maybe you read in the biblical recorder this week about Osborne Baptist Church in Eden. Steve Griffiths, the pastor, some of our former members, uh, Keith and Robin Booth used to be a member of that church before they came to us. Through a doctor in their church last year, this doctor came to their pastor and had this tremendous burden on his heart that, that their church, especially the men of their church, needed to be godly men of prayer. And, and so Steve went to the men of the church and he challenged them that every Monday they would set aside Monday as a day of prayer and fasting. Well, hundreds showed up. And the women said, hey, we don't want to be left out of that. So they showed up too. And boy, the testimonies of what they say that God has done, not through additional efforts of their own. They, they hadn't spent more money. They hadn't tried to start anything new. It's just what God has done in their fellowship through prayer, nothing else but prayer, what God has done for their witness in that community and the things that they've seen happen, I tell you, it's tremendous. One hour. I'm not even asking you to set aside a whole day. If you want to do that, great. Go for it. But one hour. Can you take one hour? And you choose the hour. You say, well, what am I going to pray for for an hour? By the way, I've left some prayer points out on the Welcome Center. About 36 pages of some prayer points. Most of it's from uh, moms in prayer. Guys, don't get upset about that. It's great stuff. Just mark out the lady praying and draw a stick figure of a man praying if that bothers you. Some prayer prompts are included in that from John Piper. 
All kinds of material. If all those pages out there run out, just email me. You've got my email in the bulletin. Email me and I'll just send it to you. I've scanned it into my email. I'll send it to you and you download it. One hour. One hour. When they prayed, they not only saw the power of God fall, but they sensed the presence of God in their midst. And then finally, I want you to see the proclamation. Verse verse 31 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now folks, notice that they did not shrink from the persecution and the threats. They prayed. God filled them. God answered their prayer. And when God answered their prayer, they all spoke with boldness. Now notice it doesn't just say Peter and John spoke with boldness. It doesn't say Peter and John and the other apostles spoke with boldness. It says they all spoke with boldness. God opened their mouths and strengthened their witness. Their witness became stronger simply through their prayers. Nothing else. I tell you what, folks, the only thing to explain what happened was their prayer life. That's all. But God moved in their prayer life. God changed them. God changed their whole fellowship. And God changed the world. And it's not an exaggeration to say that either. Because we see them beginning to go to not only Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, they've taken the gospel all the way. To Rome, the most powerful city in the world at that time. And it started with that 120 in the upper room. The 120 became 3,000 and then 5,000. And then God continued to add to the church daily those who were being saved. And again, they didn't try anything, anything different, any kind of slick operating things that so many people want to do today. So many programs out there that everybody wants the church to buy into. The early church got down on their knees and they sought the face of God. And God moved in power and when he did, they went out and spoke with a greater boldness. You think about the church today in the, in the 21st century. The church has never had so much. But look at the church across America. How the church now across America overall is backing up. Less and less influence. And here was 120 people. In the world, that, that's all. And that, that assembly grew and impacted the world. How can that be? Because God worked in them. Reminds me of what Paul said in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly even greater, more than we could ever even imagine or think or ask for. They spoke the word of God with boldness. I want to invite you this morning to become a person of prayer. A man or a woman of prayer. 
Now, folks, any time God calls us to do something, it, it involves, you read through the scripture, it involves adjustments in our life. And it, and it won't be any different here. You'll have to make some adjustments in your life. For one thing, I mean, you just got to block off that hour. Whatever hour it is you want to be, your hour for intercessory prayer, you're going to have to make the adjustment of blocking that off and, and, and being disciplined about it. But some kind of adjustments are always made in people's lives when they follow God. Are you willing to make those adjustments? Are you willing to make the adjustment that it's going to take to be a man or a woman of prayer? Is there a need in your life that's too big to handle? Take it to the Lord in prayer. This was too big for them and they went before God and they said, Sovereign Lord. They knew it wasn't too big for God. You know, so oftentimes we do everything but pray. And that's got to change. Because Jesus said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. That begins with you and with me being a person of prayer. Let's close. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for the witness of these early disciples. They had nothing. But they had everything because they had you. God, we have everything but we neglect our walk with you. And by comparison, we're anemic. Forgive us. Forgive us. Lord, help us to be a people trusting in you. Calling out to you. You're God. And as Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, all the nations are as nothing, a little drop in a bucket compared to you. You're greater than all the kings, all the presidents, all the leaders, all the peoples of the world. Forgive us. Forgive us, God. For not getting to know you. For looking first at what we can do about everything instead of trusting you. And God, I pray that that would change. And God, I pray for that one this morning that their only prayer right now is God be merciful to me a sinner. They've never been saved. They've never been born again. God touch their hearts in a special way. Touch those who need to lay some burden at your feet. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.